But just sucked it all up and just put it, put it up on the internet. Do you spend a lot of time editing or no? Uh, less, less and less. Less and less as we went. Same. Yeah. I think because we because you know you kind of want to keep putting them up at a regular pace and yeah. if you're working there are yeah. times when you just and then there was also kind of the feeling that like everything was fine to include this is what I've been thinking that actually if I edit I'd be editing for relevance and that will change yeah. over time and so it'll give the usefulness of them a much shorter life yeah but I also usually do a welcome so I might say hello everybody welcome to Wombat Radio today we're at the not in the infamous closet, but at the apartment of Kelly and Pavel. Do, you guys could do your, I don't know, if you've done like a OK Radio, I'm Pavel, I'm Kelly, like in the yeah, last Yeah, we always years. do uh, Welcome to OK Radio, I'm Pavel. I'm Kelly. <laughs> <That's> so good. <laughs> the middle, the track that you use in the intro yeah it came randomly on my radio station a month ago oh really after we just you thought we were you thought we were on <laughs> i really thought yeah. i was like i was really ready to get challenged i was ready for pavel to say some really ridiculous things <laughs> and then kelly to say mm, what about <laughs> <laughs> oh and there's miles there's miles we used to have ancho on the podcast but uh he died a few yeah. months ago so we've mm. been going through some mourning Mm. Yeah, he, they would always, when, when we shut ourselves in the closet, they, especially Ancho would want to come in. He never wanted to be separate from us. Mm. And mm-hmm. I am going to have to um, pause in like, in like 30 minutes because I'm actually taking, I'm taking Miles' blood sugar readings every, okay. every two hours today. We can definitely pause in 30 minutes. Okay. <laughs> That's nice. You, you want to talk? Now he's shy. Uh, I'm interested to hear you reminisce a little bit about OK Radio. I mean, it's not a coincidence that I called my podcast Wombat Radio with, like, any name, radio behind it. Uh-huh. Um, and the, I think mainly one of the few differences is that I also speak to people who are not yet being interviewed in because there was this... I was um, when I was listening to your stuff a lot. I was at a residency, and a, an Australian actor called Heath Ledger had just uh-huh. died. And this residency place was the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia, and they always do a big retrospective of our uh, nation's icons in film and television and radio. But um, he had died before he got old enough for them to realise they should record him. So maybe, maybe. Some of what I'm focused on is like talking to people before they have their story straight. Mm-hmm. Well, we've we, we have rarely been interviewed. Oh, really? <laughs> we've always interviewed others, but, but I also want to apologize for my mouth. I've just been spent two hours at the dentist, so if I sound like uh, I'm drunk, that means uh, half of my face is numb. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we just having the having the radio was just an excuse really for us to talk with people that we wanted to talk to, but yeah. you know it was an excuse to reach reach out to people that we would like to have a conversation with, and this was like a you know a formal 
reason to have it. <laughs> yeah, and like people will give you a couple of hours of their time. Yeah. And very focused. Yeah, it was surprising. It gave, I think it gave us the courage to, and the excuse to just ask. Mm. Um, Did you have any breakthroughs with through that? Like, was it a process? So when I do a project, usually it's a way for me to ask a question or like deal with something that I haven't yet resolved. Well, we were trying to figure out if we're the only ones who are in a crisis. <laughs> and then we figured out that pretty much everybody is in a crisis. Yeah. And that, that the crisis is very similar for everyone trying to make art or performance art, especially these days. And trying to figure out people's processes and how they work and what, what gets them going. And hopefully pass that on to everybody and just make sure that everyone understands that you, you get up in the morning, you can be as successful as you want to be, as you can be as successful as uh, uh, Forsyth or Anna Teresa de Kirsmacher or any, anybody, and you still struggle every single day. And for that to be clear, and, and I think that, that to me has always been inspiring whenever I was starting out and whenever I was struggling and then feared that, oh, I, I guess I'm not meant to do this because it hurts. And so to hear successful people who I respect say the same thing, that they're still struggling, made us feel okay and made it kind of part of the process and then diminished the pain <laughs> of making the work and then you just focus on finding the joy. So I think that's that's what that's what uh, the main breakthrough was. That we're really not alone, and there is a community out there that's really fighting for the same thing and going through the same experiences as as we are. Yeah, and I mean for. for at the time we started doing it, it was it was also a way to kind of like ground ourselves somewhere in the world because we were we were going one week here, one week there, and you don't feel you don't feel connected to the place where you came from anymore because you're not having regular conversations with the people you you know you grow up with. But um, at the same time, you don't really have any real conversations with the people in the places that you're at, and so. That, that excuse and then sharing what what we recorded meant that anyone else anywhere in the world for free could download these things and feel like they were a part of the conversation mm. too. In a way, it's been like, you know, one of the more, surprisingly one of the more meaningful things that I think we've done as far as, um, as, as, far as satisfying a really big hole in my life and then also, you know, people like you or you know just random strangers have reached out to actually connect with us which has been you know super I, I never take that for granted mm. it's been meaningful to me personally and artistically and um, when you're talking about the finding the joy do you think that you've like come across a process for finding the joy rather than just enjoying the pain yeah, there is no pain anymore, really. Okay. I mean, there is no... It's just uh, you have to make a conscious effort to uh, look for it. 
and if it's not working, then you change your strategy. Right. But you don't you don't let yourself wallow in your crisis or in a block. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just uh, there's always another way to do it. Uh, it. It doesn't it doesn't have to hurt. So beautiful. <laughs> um, and what is it that you say that you do? in relationship to anything like okay at, at a zoomed out level you wake up and you deal with the crisis <laughs> but like at a zoomed in more zoomed in level what do you do it's a step-by-step process whether it's writing word by word or yeah. if it's choreographing it's gesture by gesture yeah. or if it's editing <laughs> editing you know it's not a it's a very very artisan approach yeah it's not a once you realize this is what this is what we do, this is what we're meant to do, and what we what we are devoting our entire life to, then you just uh, go step by step and not even really think about the big picture, because the big picture will emerge out of the process. Mm. You in a way you 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 discover the big picture. You don't start mm. there. You you somehow unveil the process of working is an, is a process of unveiling something that's that's already there. Yeah, you know the the big picture is already there. You know we're not in command of that. We're only in command of the smallest little um, gestures and actions and interventions. Mm-hmm. You know every, everything else is it, it's just the process of discovery of what what that is it is the same thing for the podcast too you know you you use this little machine to vacuum up everything that was talked about and then Mm. when i would go back through and put it together i would find little threads that you know that oh this one's about this or you know Mm -hmm. which is this the like default mechanism of the mind Uh to just make make things up even if they're not there but it um somehow consoles you, soothes you. Um, but so I've been thinking a lot about what what is what I'm doing doing and but if we reframe it as that the process is a process of unveiling then I guess have you been doing the process long enough to see what what you're doing is doing? Yeah, I mean it's in the same way as like what is a sushi master doing mm-hmm. <laughs> what is a bread maker artisan boulanger <laughs> doing you know it's it's something that accrues significance over time mm. and accrues value if you continue to do it long enough then then somehow you stop worrying whether it's ex- successful or not but that but that you do it well and that you you continue to grow personally, not necessarily in the eyes of the rest of the world. You know, you stop you stop worrying about unimportant things like reviews or applause or the size of the audiences, and and you really begin to enjoy the work the work itself. You know, there's there's this great film uh, about the Japanese. <laughs> Sushi master Jiro dreams of sushi, mm. which is uh, which I highly recommend. Where he's 
in his 80s and still learning how to make the perfect piece of sushi, you know, where... Or the perfect rice, too. The perfect <laughs> rice, you know, and it's such a... So you, you go into any kind of process with a desire to get it this time or to make that discovery or to just advance just a little bit. Yeah. You know? Is there, so then this other, to counter that, what I've been thinking of is how seductive that is or how um, nurturing that continual striving for another half a percent advancement or discovery is. And if, if you can know or how you would know if you're doing something or if you're doing nothing, you're doing lots of nothing, you're keeping yourself busy and you're feeling like satisfied and it means that you're a calm person and you don't start so many fights in the street or whatever but you're actually not doing something or do you think that matters you mean accomplishing something as a, as a I don't know it's like you're in process you're in a, a studio you're, you're writing or whatever you're having this discussion and you're trying to work out are we like are we progressing are we cycling I know in Eastern philosophy, cycling is actually fine rather than Western philosophy, which is all about the march forward. But it's like, this happens a lot, I see, in dance choreography rehearsals especially. Like, the choreographer doesn't have an idea, but all the dancers are there being paid. And so keep them busy, just do it again. And you know, as the dancer in that moment, that you're not doing anything, mm -hmm. but you're really working really hard. <laughs> um, and maybe what you're, maybe what you're doing like in the best, most generous scenario is that you're being a screensaver for the choreographer so that their mind can wander for long enough to have an idea for the next thing to happen. But that's a very different thing to what everybody's under the assumption that they're doing. So something or nothing. Like, Well, you have to, you have to start with faith. You have to... Making art is like religion. You know, nobody... nobody that I know of or read about has, has really seen a clear proof that God exists mm. and yet we have religions Man. that are based on pure faith mm. and so if you want to make art you kind of have to start with that yeah. that, it, that it is important you know if it, that it or, that, that, or that it does something even if on the surface it does nothing just like religion what does religion do? nothing Except make people, I mean, there's no accomplishment made when you go to church and you leave. What have you left with? You're not bringing home anything yeah. in your hands. But do you, you know? feel that way after like a day spent writing and you have physical objects and then a day spent in the, in the rehearsal studio and you leave and the studio is no different than when you got there? Yeah, well, you always know, you know, I mean, with, the, with our work, with theater, with performance work, yeah. All we really have left after 20 years of working is, is uh, three bags of dirty costumes in our basement. You know, that's, and it can feel bad. <laughs> yeah, the material, materially, that's all we have. We don't even have a cathedral. <laughs> like a, like a, like a, you like know, a we just, like a it's church just has, you know. The collection plate. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we, the collection plate yeah. during the show. Yeah, so you, all you have is the, is the basement. But maybe it's because you're not offering anybody salvation either. I mean... Or are you? Have you done shows where you've offered salvation? 
all all I know is is what it has done to me. Yeah. What what art has done for me, uh, and so I have to, in a way, stop worrying about that it's pointless. You know, maybe that's why we kind of stopped doing the podcasts a little while ago, several years, because we felt we reached a kind of impasse where all we were saying is that maybe there's no point to this. Mm. And then we needed to take a break from that and in that in the interim discovered that maybe it's not useful to worry about that. No. And so you just you just start with that faith. Faith. Mm. And just keep do, keep going and doing it and doing it, knowing that you know it does it does something to me every day. You know whether I read a book or listen to music or look at look at paintings, look at dance theater that that I that I like. Do you know it's a kind of self medication for humans. Everything is. I mean, people. You can work on Wall Street, and you know why do you need millions of dollars? You don't need millions of dollars. It's just self medication. It's just money to get. It's just it's just numbers, you know. It's just numbers, and you can get the big house, and that makes you feel good. And then a week later, after you've bought your big house, you want a yacht. It's like that chasing that straight line that you said. You know, it's like you're looking for. So it's just everyone. Everyone has a different medication that they go to, and. it has been mine since I was, you know, maybe 14. And you think you could have just as easily landed on a different one? I think I could. I, I, I can see, you know, like I could have worked with animals or something like that. I mean, both of us have like... Well, I was a hockey player and yeah. that was my medicine until then. And then I fell in love with a girl who wrote me poems and I, I was just a jock. And, but to make her fall in love with me more than she was, I started writing, writing poems to her. How did you, so these days someone would look up, ask Google how to write a poem for a girl, but how did you know how to write a poem? Well, you read her, I read hers and Rearranged got, a, got, a, got, a, got, got a book of other people's poetry and yeah. saw that, you know, there are short lines and they, they, <laughs> no sound, punctuation. they sound, no punctuation, they sound kind of fancy and... They're they're melodramatic and more than just talking. And then you just go and then you enjoy it and it fulfills you and you realize, wow, this is uh, this makes me feel great and and it's probably gonna get me a kiss tomorrow or something. (laughs) It was like objective oriented art at that point. It is. It is, and, and, and in many ways it continues, you know, you just get a whole bunch of kisses from the audience <laughs> <laughs> after, the, after a show, I guess, you know. It's still a way to feel connected to people, you mm. know, or disconnected sometimes. Mm. But, yeah, but more connected, you know, yeah. it, it clearly meant something when I was 14 and it still does today. I remember being, I remember a similar situation being 14 or 16, being like quite fat and not being very popular and like writing things, letters or poems or whatever. 
but not at all understanding the feelings that I was saying in there and actually just, well, like you said, there's short lines, there's no <laughs> punctuation, it's melodramatic. And so you, you play with the form until you somehow grow enough. And if you didn't know that this form was a possible option for you to grow into, then maybe your growth caps out at the, yeah, the container of your mind or imagination or whatever. But as soon as you know that uh, it's actually possible to do, like, I went and saw your show. So it's possible to do a show with, like, saloon doors on both sides of the stage. <laughs> like, um, you can use glitter as blood and, like, <laughs> red strings and shit. And you're like, oh, there's... Somehow the shape of you becomes different. And it's, and it's about exposure, you know. It's... It's about what what you are exposed to and what's what's available to you, you know. So I, I don't think that people have become dumber than when I was fourteen. We just things have been taken away from us, mm. and they're being taken away from from young people earlier and earlier, or and last till later and later. I mean, I I remember reading Kafka when I was fourteen because it was. Because that was that it was there, it wasn't it was and nobody there was nobody telling me these books are not for you. Yeah, these books are you're too young for these books or you're too young for this. I was never I never was coddled in that way or told that well you're you're not mature enough to understand complex thought. Mm. You know, so it's it's always been uh, or the things that probably we have. Maybe even you, you know, climbing trees and falling from them mm. and getting hurt. That was okay. You know, the, the playgrounds were full of broken bottles. They were not, they were not uh, made of uh, neoprene or whatever. They, and astroturf that gets cleaned. And but do you think the, um, there's uh, injuries that allow us to grow and then there's injuries that cause damage that then also redirect to what is possible then furthermore into our lives I only think about some farming farmers that I have in my family and they get like you get an injury from riding a bull or whatever and that can like there's brain damage and there's broken limbs well of course yeah (laughs) (laughs) falling from a tree and getting an owie on your ass (laughs) is is different than a a brain injury yeah. yeah but then maybe there's a like you said, there's an exposure and there's a responsibility when you are exposed further. When you're exposed to danger, there's a responsibility for your own safety. Yeah, but I'm more talking about art, you know. Yeah. To read to read Kafka, that or you know whatever, Marquis de Sade or anything, you know that that whatever is in the library, yeah. that's not forbidden, and you look at it, that like wow, this is this is crazy. Yeah. These people are beating each other up while they're having sex and bleeding or something. You know, you, know, you, just, uh, you just are exposed to all kinds of different modes of existence and you understand very early on that everything is relative yeah. and that somehow your own worldview is not the only one, mm. you know, and that somehow you are responsible for 
continuing to keep yourself open. You know, I grew up in communism and the world and believed in one thing wholeheartedly. And then revolution came and next day I believe something else wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. just as wholeheartedly. And so you, as did my parents. And then they were lost because they you know, the revolution happened when they were 40 something, you know, and then it was hard for them to transition yeah. you know from believing that we were all we're, whatever we're doing we're doing it for the good of all to all of a sudden next day you're supposed to do everything for yourself and it's and it's really hard to you know so for me i've always kind of lived in a very very relative state of mind that i can really believe anything so does that help wh- when you make stuff or well, then you know it's all fiction. Yeah, you know it's all fiction. It you can believe fiction. in capitalism and, and and money, and it's fiction. You can believe in uh, nirvana and uh, utopia, and it's it's fiction. Yeah. You know? But is that is a shared fiction the only thing? Like, is a shared fiction the definition of sanity, like social sanity and functional society? Is that you have to have a fiction that at least overlaps enough that you can. Well, it's 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 about the permission that a society gives you to use that to deviate. You know, it used to be when philosophy was in vogue that when was that? (laughs) (laughs) Whenever, whenever you know, probably all all the way up until sixties. Probably ended with. Existentialism, I guess. You know, those those were those were bestsellers. You yeah. know, because everyone had a had questions that they needed. Everyone had questions, and there and it was okay to to be told that we don't know shit. And then right. came birth control, and then whereas right now, whereas whereas right now we're we're you know with every new election or every new party, mm-hmm. we're t- we are being told this is this is now the truth. Yes, this you know, is the so truth. They're only absolute. Right mm. now, we const- we just live within absolute statements, mm. rather than living within relative uh, mm. statements. The the absolute statements are things about your individual atomized sovereignty and identity, yeah. and your ability to choose and select and demand that people identify you as a certain way. And so that, that uh, they're like counteracting efforts there. Yeah. And that the absolute that we're being told now is that you should address someone exactly how they perceive themselves to be and that that should be respected at all times. Yeah. And art used to be, the function of art used to be to question everything and to make everything relative and to, to be ambiguous and to... Or to, to provoke. To provoke and to be difficult, to mm. be, you know, but now it seems like... It's hard to provoke when, like, they put, um, you know, a warning outside the theater about everything that might possibly provoke you, like like smoke and gunshots. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. You, you may know. see nipples. Yeah, I remember, too, like... simulated violence. A few years ago, we had, like, uh, Romeo and Juliet, our version, which was, you know, it mentioned 9-11 in there, and there... And there was a, a student who um, complained that we didn't warn. warn them that we were going to mention because 9/11. Because it's a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. 
but that's why you used it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, we used it because it was in, you know, it was it was a part of it. But uh, but yeah, it's the it's yeah, it's hard to provoke if yeah, right. If what we, when do you notice yourself getting provoked? Apart from daily life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't really been provoked in in the theater in a long time. Yeah. I mean, in, in literature, in literature, you get provoked when you read, you know, older books. Yeah, right. From a different time. Yeah, from a different time, or or films. You know, I can't imagine Pasolini's Salo being made today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, or or even any kind of uh, even Godard. You know, I mean, last I guess last time we saw Godard's the 3D movie and. You know, that was provocative aesthetically, but it's... Uh, Maybe it's because the whatever you are invited into in the form of uh, entertaining art, performance, that it needs to wrap up with a kind of reassurance. You need to be put back together before you leave the theatre and somehow the package completes itself without you having to step in as the viewer to do the rest of the work. Well, somehow you have to make it safe. You don't have to. I don't want to. <laughs> but uh, it feels like... Like uh, politically that, safe? Yeah, that every everyone... Somehow safe. every artist feels the need to reassure us that he's on the right side or she's on the right side of the angels. Ah, yes, okay. Yeah, okay, I'm realizing I'm guilty of this also. I did a project <laughs> recently called The GIF of Dance, and in, instead of making everyone come to the theatre at a specific time that works for office workers but for nobody else uh-huh. with like disposable income that not everybody has in a, in a capital city that not everybody lives in. You just sent in your mobile phone number and then every day we would make a dance GIF and uh-huh. we would text it to your phone. And that was the show. And if you had a second, you had a second and so you didn't need time either. But you could watch it for as long as you want because it looped. Um, but the disclaimer that went out with it was totally always reassurance like... You, your number won't be used for anything else. There won't be any nudity. Like this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is safe. It won't cost you anything. It's like always trying to remind them that we're gonna um, provoke you as as like a loving, nurturing parent or like a child <laughs> daycare worker or something. We're gonna provoke you in this way that you'll still be the same afterwards. I mean, if it was a con, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> And every gift that went out each day was a little more... It was full of, full of porn. Yeah. <laughs> but well-considered and well-choreographed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Artistic porno. Yeah, well, this is what we need more of in the world. <laughs> I think that, you know, you just, you just have to trick the audience into coming there and somehow staying there. And whatever happens while they're there... Yeah. Is that the, just about being aesthetically seductive while being like conceptually challenging well understanding where they are coming from uh-huh. understanding the audience and understanding what what the what their expectations what are what the deal is what uh, their what the, the deal, deal is what's the deal and, and if then, you change the deal you uh-huh. you have to and then working with that deal and yeah. under, and and you know being being respectful in a way that you understand that you invited them it's true it's you your responsibility to deal with who they are because they're a big part of that equation. Yes. And you're the host yeah. in a way. Like yeah. this party happens because yeah. they agree yeah. to come along. But some people come to your party and they don't like your party. 
person. Yes, yeah, true. But, that's, but you still want them fine. to stay because they might buy the Yeah, end. I mean, you still want them to because you, you, you yourself believe that what you have to offer, something that you have worked on for two years, yeah. is valid and that, you know, you did not make it to turn people away. You know, we never make anything that we think will upset people. You have to keep some kind of innocence and naivete that somehow, no matter how radical your your vision is, that it is still valid for all of humanity. You know, I don't. We don't. We try not to make work for the elite. Yeah, I mean, we always try to make th that. Th there's a point of entry for anyone who buys right. a ticket. You know, yeah. that is uh, not. Well, that's so. But it's not like pandering. It. You know, it's not about pandering, but it's about understanding who you're inviting. Yeah. You know, you're not going to have an S&M party in your house and invite your church friends. Or, Publicly. Or, yeah. Publicly, like you invite yeah. them privately. Or you yeah. are, but you're going to take them through a process by which they, right. they gradually become more There's a journey. Yeah, right. You go and meet them where they are, yeah. and then you cross the yeah. Whitewater River uh -huh. together. Yeah. And it's a hard and arduous journey, but yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a reassurance of best intentions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You show them how Jesus was pretty much a masochist, <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, oh, okay, he bled a little bit, maybe I'll bleed too. <laughs> um, how do you go with, when we're talking about absolutes, this like waves of denouncing people who are quite good at what they do, but their private conduct is not. That's like... An example? Keeps, well, Louis C.K. is an example. I think he's hilarious. But now there's like a wave of denouncing people for their actions off stage as well. Um, so I wonder about... Extending that to us, just like inflating our egos enough to say that we're like important enough to be concerned. <laughs> I feel like somehow in the arts your conduct is one of your highest responsibilities and how you treat people on and off the stage is and then like the the art that happens should happen in response to your conduct that you would not compromise um but i wonder how that goes when like it seems easier to be taken along a journey of say literature written by somebody who's dead because they can no longer be dethroned in the way that a lot of people who have like excellent skills are currently being denounced. Not incorrectly, I just wonder about what you're, what you're thinking about that and if, like how you think about your own conduct in that space. Are you at danger of being denounced? I mean, you, you, you always flirt with, with, with trouble. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're always in danger of being denounced. Uh, and you don't, but, and you don't know, you know, you, you want to, you want, I believe I conduct myself morally and ethically to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. I don't consciously hurt anyone. I don't uh, abuse my position. I don't molest, <laughs> molest people. Um, Sometimes you molest the cat. I molest cats, yeah. <laughs> I admit that, and if I get in trouble for that, I will, I will gladly go to prison. But, but also, but but there are there are 
you know, I have gotten in trouble for things that I did not believe were were wrong, you know, in the past, and 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 was hurt by accusations. You know, I don't want to get into details, but you know, I mean, they're not they're nothing nothing earth shattering. But I always feel like I'm somehow in trouble. Yeah, you know, you my personality is is the kind of personality that's maybe a little larger. Than, than conservative, so if I'm in a in a group, I'm I'm, I'm bound to say something <laughs> that's going to ruffle feathers. But that's for like your own play, right? That's an invitation. It's an invitation and it's a provocation and it's a testing. It's a testing. How far can I go? What kind of company am I in? Uh-huh. You know, where 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 is the boundary? What can we talk about? You know, and in in the work itself, I want to be able to talk about anything. Mm. Whether and, and explore any part of myself and be and embody any anybody, yeah. embody Hitler or Jesus, embody a, a child molester, a rapist, a racist, uh, embody an angel. You know, any, anybody as an artist, I have to I have to have somehow access to without, especially when you're working. Yeah. Yes. Without without the need to. To then say, but it's not me. Yes. Just to be, just to be clear, everybody, I'm a good guy. You yeah, know. And I would never do. I'm a good things. person, because, like I said, it's, it's all relative, and I know that, you know, would I not be able to murder somebody at some point in my life? I I can't say that. You know. <laughs> if somebody answer. hurts Kelly or or one of my cats, you know, I have. Been in a extremely uh, extreme rage. I have experienced extreme rage where I, you know, in my you know, earlier on. So I, not, nothing is really far from me. Nothing mm-hmm. is really out of the question. So I know that it's all possible, and we're very, very fragile beings. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of give up on 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 these absolutes. Yeah. Then you open yourself up, and you're vulnerable to any kind of situation, and and you you ultimately don't know your reaction to how how you would how you would deal with that. Yeah, yeah it's something that we've actually talked about a lot. I think over the past months, and I, I see it being discussed too by other people who make provocative work. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has a kind of chilling effect on the work yeah. if you if you have to constantly like if you have to constantly like police what you're doing especially in a kind of like a safe zone or you want it to be safe of of the people you work with you know what you present to the public and and um is even a different iteration of that, but when you're when you're in your safe zone, yeah. <laughs> working with the people that you trust, you you want to just kind of be free to let your ugly out. Yeah, well, it goes back to the S and M party, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. like we're here and we've agreed that the p- rules, the pedestrian rules, that's not the rules we're playing by here. Um, yeah, one of my colleagues, Kate Harmon, she says that when. She, the thing that actually brings her solace is knowing that every single person she meets, she could have become that. Uh-huh. No matter yeah. who they are, where they are, put in similar circumstances. 
quite possibly she could have become the murderer of the... Mm. That's not... Um, in this world, it's always looking for reassurance of the good guys. That's not very reassuring. Yeah, it's, you know, the world is divided into good guys and bad guys. And that's, and, it, and, and I don't, I don't think I could call myself a good guy. I know myself too well mm. to really give myself that title. And maybe the good guys don't know themselves well enough. <laughs> I, don't, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I really <laughs> do. Are you a good guy, Kelly? I would call Kelly a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, genuinely good guy. You know, there's genuinely good people out there. How did they become? Yeah, I'm not. I definitely am not one of them. You know. And it makes me, I think, hyper uncomfortable when there's even like a perception that you know something that you've made has like caused some kind of. Huh. Yeah. Mm. I'll say it. You know, like the the show that we just did. Mm. The, the headdresses that they wear. Yes. I saw, I happened to like, just um, look on the internet and I saw one person said something about like, you know, well, we, you know, Wooster Group got in trouble for using Native American headdresses and wore bonnets in their show, but nobody's saying anything about, okay, theaters use, why? Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, you know, like it, it upsets you that that's um, that that's so, that all of a sudden somebody thinks that you're not a good guy, and yet at the same time, like I I know why, I know why we used it. There's just not that. There's not something that's so symbolic of both the worlds of show, and the world of American history, and our kind of problematic yeah. American history, in particular. That you know, like there's nothing that we could have used that was that was as useful as that symbol in that particular show and so I can defend it but at the same time it, it bothers me you know I do I do like to I hate that it can be so misconstrued or that there's these things that we can't touch um, even though I, I get where I get sometimes where people are coming with it I just again it's like it has a chilling effect if you can't deal with these aspects of your national history and and that there are certain symbols that are even off off limits, mm. and in particular off limits to people who come from a white um, privileged background, mm. you know, which I think is the whole problem that people have with that. And now I have to go be a good person and take my cat's blood sugar. But should we pause? Can... Or we can we, just we can continue. Yeah, it'll be quick. Or there was a, somebody wrote a review and said something that, you know, that sexually inappropriate things were done in our show. And I can't even think of a single one. I have no idea what... So, but clearly it is, you know, so it's not because whether it's Louis C.K. or any all, of, all the people that are coming forward that they were harassed or molested or, you know, clearly it is valid to them, you know, they were, they felt that they were, so that's, they're justified in that, but I don't, you know, so so the, the, the world I live in, to me, whatever, whatever we, whatever sexuality there is in the play was not meant to be offensive because it is the 
world of sexuality in which I live. So to me, that was just the expression of, of what of the reality I live in. It's not not really. Uh, I don't really. I don't really. You know. I, I I understand people saying that, but I don't really mm. know how to fix it other than just stop making work. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> I think about this, and I think about if I then I have become the person who's being told that the thing that I'm doing is uh, indefensible, then I'm now the person that's being provoked or challenged by like the completely atomized identity movement that actually individuates all of us from each other mm-hmm. and says that we're not, we can't be a shared group. And it seems like that just eats itself. Which is not to say that it hasn't done things that it needs to do, that need to be done in the world, which is like move agency from some places into some other places. But I do find it hard. uh, Maybe it's like a less drastic version of what you're talking about from communism and capitalism. It's like, oh, I grew up thinking that these things were okay and these things were not okay. And then I left a a small post-frontier town in outback Australia uh-huh. and went to a big city and then I in a college environment and then learnt some of those things and some of those words that I thought were okay and no longer okay. And that just continues happening as I go deeper into the rabbit hole of reconsidering what is our shared fundamentals as a community and as a society. But then there's a a spiral of like self-justification or defensibility where sometimes arguments especially based in words become really seductive and you try and get everything watertight and in the end that's why I go back to making dance because Uh or live shows because it's like well let this be for you what you need it to be for you and let us not try and um, construct a like two or three layers abstracted framework that is supposed to be gospel for all time because we know the gospels continue to fall over. I think it's for me. It's always I just remind myself of all my role models mm. and that they all got in trouble. <laughs> okay, you know, and that that that's fine. You know, somehow you don't want to. You don't. It feel it hurts, but then you realize. Okay, the people I try to emulate were not accepted for all their work, and they were considered provocateurs, and they were considered you know, blasphemous or whatever. You know, but I, you know, it's just you don't you don't think yourself you don't think of yourself as that. I don't. You know, I don't think of myself as as some weirdo. You know, I just I just try to be sensitive to to the world around me and. And live inside that world, and and understanding the history of performance art, you know, it's just like Jiro in the Jiro Dreams of Sushi. He understands the world of sushi. Mm-hmm. I understand the world of performance. Feathered headdresses are part of performance. La- Las Vegas or any, anywhere, you know. So I'm going to use that mm-hmm. because that's part of my language. It's part of my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, costumes are a part of my vocabulary. Makeup, you know, all that. That's that's my 
métier. That's what I do. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exploit that and use it in my recipes. Do you and, think? Yeah, you got Yeah, and at the same time, like, I mean, yeah, you wish that somehow it was possible to separate your artwork from your, your, uh, you know, like, I conduct myself as a good citizen out in the world and I consider it in my relationships to other people, like, personally, that, I, you know, mm-hmm. I observe, like, I would never behave badly but in a way like the the art sometimes has to behave badly and it has to you know if we're living in that kind of world um without without it really like being you know it's not like a uh it's not like a free-for-all like there's still some (laughs) there's some rules to it but you're you're negotiating those with the with the public that you're making the work for and you're and you're see, you're putting it out there and seeing what it does. I mean, if that became the only thing that people were talking about in the work, and if that was what people walked away with, from the work yeah. with, I believe I would, you know, I would have to really rethink about, you know, what I'm doing. But I think, for the most part, people understood that as a symbol and mm-hmm. a, as a, you know. Yeah, it's a place for intuition and for dreaming, you know, and, and it's a place for for nightmares. Yeah, you know, it's not a place. It should not be the same as, as C-SPAN, which is a TV program where senators and you know talk at a lectern in Congress <laughs> for hours and hours. You know, it's it's a completely different uh, animal and different sport. You know, but somehow we're now forced into behaving. Responsibly in the way that's not expanding those those rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just reinforcing the rules and not not really allowing us to to learn. You know, how do you you push yourself? You push yourself in you know in, in sports. You push yourself past the past the tre- threshold of pain mm-hmm. in order to grow. Yeah. In art, it's the same thing. You have to somehow push yourself past. Uh, discomfort. The discomfort to of get your identity being somehow. Yeah, your ideas and, and the rules that you think are apply to yeah. to the work or you to. You need to be willing to be misunderstood somehow. No, <laughs> I don't know. Even by yourself. You can't yourself, be so actually. explicit. Yeah. Well, this is what's so nice about doing something that's out there, rather than thinking or talking, is that you. You do a thing and then you see what it's become. And you didn't know what you're doing when you did it, but mm-hmm. you can know what it is when it has become. But if you're trying to not let anything bad ever become. But do you know where your limit is? Like, you would, would you be able to stop yourself before you went over the line or before you went over the cliff? Of course. Or would you not that's, know? That's, that that's, where craft, that's where craft comes and, and you know... You know, you're making a su- sushi, but you, can see you know when you make a schnitzel <laughs> that, that it's, it's time to pull back. <laughs> but you've already gone over the cliff then, and then you can... Like, and you're making schnitzels already? Yeah, yeah no, but you, you still also like, oh, shit, this is, this is a schnitzel. Yeah, and I mean... I don't have a schnitzel restaurant, so then you don't, you don't serve that. Yeah, yeah so but you, you make all kinds what of... What if people then want that? People come in and like, okay, well, I was here for the sushi. I've seen you. You've made a schnitzel. I'm down with that. It's tasty. Then do you 
allow yourself to continue down there or do you say actually there's work there's sushi work that needs to be done no I think I think we would probably keep the schnitzel in there (laughs) (laughs) so we're known for putting stuff that doesn't go together with other stuff yeah but there's an interesting thing with this like uh, challenge that you say whether it's the headdress or like representation as an entire conversation where like when you are the artist's and you are being challenged by uh, new eye, like a new movement or whatever, like a recent, I mean, in time movement, or radical people with radical views. And I mean radical as in not conservative. As soon as you're challenged by radicals, you become the conservative, mm-hmm. even though you're you're positioning yourselves as uh, as a radical or as a challenger. If you push back against the the people that are more radical, then yeah. you become the conservative, which is also like an att- an attack on the identity of what you think you're doing in the world. Yeah, it's like it's like the you know the liberals who are now banning books, you know, <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, it's a very it's a, and the way that you know, in some in some ways, this whole Me Too thing. You know, there's an open question mark about whether it's going to make people so so sexually conservative. You know that it becomes like a kind of a witch hunt. And I think there, yeah. people are like really looking for like, well, what is the dividing line and what yeah. is the? I remember when I first heard about Louis C.K., I was like, dude, he's an artist. You know, like the he has to be willing to like say a lot of sexually inappropriate things and things like that but then I read about what actually happened and it's like I get it yeah. you know I get that this wasn't this wasn't actually part of the work yeah, this right. was um, it's like a court jester situation the yeah. only person who can ridicule kill the king is the uh-huh. artist but maybe if the power is with the mass then the artist's job is to ridicule the masses and their crazy ideas and their voting for Trump yeah, it's I, like if 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 the masses are putting the people into power and the artists are no longer the the um, ridiculous ones, they're somehow in the middle of the conservative and ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think what annoys me about all of that is when like I'm not allowed to like be part of a conversation about that, or when people assume. Yes. You know, I. Assume, assume motivation or, you know, like there's just no, like I'd be totally open to having a conversation about whatever, whatever my work provoked. Um, if we could just have like a conversation about it or if it could be like a, you know, I remember too, you know, when, when people get into this identity politics thing, um, there was something that somebody said that really made me understand, you know, like when I, when you think like as a white artist, well, I can't speak about this or that or the other thing. And, and it's like, well, you, you get to be, I forget who said it or whatever, but it's like, yeah, you can choose to, you know, speak about you're, you're white. You can choose to speak about, you know, black native, whatever, Mm -hmm. but somebody who is from one of those backgrounds, you Mm -hmm. know, they will only, they may feel that their identity is kind of imposed upon them from without, you know, you've never mm-hmm. seen as anything other mm-hmm. than a black artist yeah. or something like that. Until and then, you're white and you move to a non-white population center. Yeah. <laughs> but also when you come from a 
completely different place where yeah. those where you don't grow up with those things. Yeah. So then you come to America after your formative years and you have you you have not been dealing with mm. race politics or sexual po- you know, gender politics and so then then you are you know if you come you can be white come from a completely white country you could have been an outsider in that country yeah. you could have come from a country where all the Jews have been sent into a concentration camps but you're not Jewish but do you do you still get to talk about that talk about the Holocaust if you're mm. if you're not Jewish mm. but you know maybe if you're so, so then you, there are all these subcategories yeah. you know only if you're Ameri- white and American <laughs> then you can't but if you're from <laughs> Czechoslovakia or Poland where mm-hmm. you have where Jews going to concentration camps is part of your history then you can, you know. So, but like, where does it? Yeah. It's how old must you have been? <laughs> you, know, it's like, uh, you just, you just don't, you just don't know. Yeah. And and you can't know. And and at some point, you just have to not worry about it, yeah. and take a risk that what you're going to make, if you're making it from within yourself, and somehow it is part of your dreams, part of your nightmares, that that. You have permission to work on that. Yeah, or you, you actually have responsibility to work yeah. on that. And that if it's if it's somehow it's it's part of your world. It's the world that you live in right now. Yeah. And it could be alien to you and it could be your but but I feel like the, the alien perspective on any kind of problem is always useful. Mm. So for me I would love to look at the Native American <laughs> history. I would love to look at uh, slavery, or you know, for me that would be a, a valid look at something that that perhaps is not part of my culture. Yeah, I remember when we, you know, I I, I was collecting um, home movies at flea market. This sounds oh, yeah. kind of on the side, but I remember. Um, I had some movies that I found that showed signs that said whites only and it was, you know, it was wow. in color. So it was clearly like wow. from from our world. Yeah. And Pavel, I remember him seeing that and going like, what? You know, it, that it's like this was in your country like they did that. Mm. And I I hadn't realized like, yeah, this is actually this is my mother and father's generation. You mm. know, this is. This is actually not so far, you know, up until that point, that was like a history book kind of thing for me. Yeah. And to see it through his eyes, um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. I, have no, I have no connection to white America. No. That is not, so am I not that's allowed, also, I, you know, I, I, to me, that's, a, that's all, I have no right to talk about no. in life and times, sure. talking, uh, talking about, you know, a woman from, you know, upper middle class background that is not something that I have a I should have a right to talk about if so uh, it seems like all of this stuff actually is just uh, keeps everyone busy but doesn't move us anywhere and I wonder if if it is the artist's job to to have a vision larger than the current urgency like what is what is that 
Absolutely. I mean, I, for for me, I feel I feel personally, you know, and I take responsibility for this statement. I feel outside of it all. Yes. And do you know what? Like where? Like what? What do you imagine the? I take my I take my culture is is literature and theater. My culture, you know, Baldwin and Toni Morrison are just and. and Miles Davis are just as part of my culture, yeah. who I of who I am, mm. as as is as is Proust or James Joyce or mm. you know that is those are my brothers and sisters you know those those are the people that I identify with and the people that have influenced me and who I grew up with and so my responsibility is to the to the craft my responsibility is to the, is to Pushing the boundaries of that of of history of performance art. Do you have say. a direction that you can you would like to push the boundaries towards? No, like I said, I mean it's a step by step process. <laughs> no, like I mean, I, ideally, the conversation I, will shift. Do you have any like desire, like agenda or notion of where the conversation will shift to, or where you would like it to shift to? What do you think we should be talking about? It's almost like separation of state and you know state and church. You know, it's like you have to separate art from from life in a way that's our art from politics, so that it can function. So it can function and do its own thing, take its own responsibility for its own rules, and then politics does its own thing. You know, if I was a politician, I would be talking very differently than if than if I'm an artist, Mm. and I have political opinions. But I don't use those necessarily in the in the work. Those are if I want to save, if I want to you know work for the refugees and make their life better. I'm not going to make a theater piece. Mm. I'll just go and work in a refugee camp or or Which do isn't something. Which to say that those preoccupations and thoughts don't worm their way into it. But just that like that. But in the work of in the work of art that I'm making. I would need to feel free to access someone who hates the refugees and wants them exterminated. Yes. And to make a work that eliminates every <laughs> yeah, 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 everyone yeah. from Syria <laughs> coming to to America. Yeah. And not and and not feel the need like I have to say, but that's not what I really believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. But instead like here it is. Yeah. I put this out there. That that is that is a nightmare that I have put together. Yeah, yeah. And it's part of what we live in. Discuss. And then dis- <laughs> yeah, and and now we'll discuss them, discuss <laughs> discuss among yourselves. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. to make a you know to stand at a podium and denounce how refugees are treated and and yeah, yeah. two different things. Yeah. Two completely different. It's things. almost like the if when you're talking about when philosophy was a thing that normal people did that what that allowed was the, the self-reflexive knowledge that you are not your thoughts. You uh-huh. have thoughts and then you can uh, sift through them and you can wonder about them and you can follow them. But they are a process that happen of themselves. And you can think about how, pro- how thoughts are born and what influences them. Yeah, and what a crazy thing that is. And, but we have, uh, like, your president is somebody that seems to have no 
internal dialogue that is different from his external dialogue. No. And so if that is the norm, if that is everything is just is what it is, it's not that I'm saying this while I'm thinking this. And having said that, now I realize that I disagree with myself. Yeah. Like that but he's, all, he's, he's succeeding in making his opponents into himself. Because you can only engage him yeah. in in his way. Yeah, you change the So rules. we're all, you know, you can be the most liberal person, and in opposing Trump, mm -hmm. you you have to turn into the, up, you know, obverse side of mm -hmm. the coin. Mm -hmm. But there, that's like a firefighting method, no backburning, where yeah. you you see yeah. the raging fire coming towards you, and so as the fireman that puts out the fires, you go along and you start the fire back towards yeah. and hope that it's going to burn itself out. Yeah. And in that moment, you're using the tools of the arsonist or of the enemy. Yeah. yeah. But you, you, like people understand that you're using those tools towards a, an other outcome. So, so maybe it's like a full societal shift of remembering that you are not your thoughts yeah. or a full societal shift that you can change your opinion and that when you have a new idea or when you're exposed and it shifts, that doesn't make you uh, weak or um, not dependable. Absolutely. And there's a huge problem with that, even just within masculinity, I find. It's like if you change your mind on something, then there's a, a perceived weakness rather than like a... What's the word? Instead of having evolved or grown to this new idea, you've somehow crumbled away from your line in the sand. And that's a shame. It seems like the bravest thing to do, actually, is change your mind rather than stand and fight. For sure. Yeah, but all, all discussion and... Um yeah, re revising one's mm. thoughts or self, even. <laughs> What's the, the best moment of making? Because there's a lot of shit. There's like a lot of hassle and doing things that you do just to service, I guess, what you're in it for. And usually it's not the show. Usually it's like in development. Yeah, the show is the least interesting part of the process. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the products that you have to deliver yeah. so that you can have the process. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's some there's some... There's some fun in putting it in front of an audience the first time and kind That's of see, seeing what you what you provoke. I mean, yeah. I think that if it stayed in rehearsal forever, that that would also be unsatisfactory. Sure. But For sure, but it's 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 but reaching it's a reaching a state of reverie and lostness in a in a world that's underneath the world that that we underneath the mundane world. You know where you yeah. are. A moment of epiphany, mm. where you where you discover something in spite of yourself. That's there, you know, where where an accident produces something, or not even an accident, but any kind of you step into another another dimension, and you lose and you lose and you and you see that the 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 world is so much richer because there is this other dimension that you don't give yourself permission to access all the time. Yeah. 
and then you then you really understand this is why I do it is for these near orgasmic <laughs> moments in in rehearsal or or when you're writing or composing or whatever whatever you do as a, as an artist you know it's these moments and then and then finding a way that you can share that do you think it's a chemical addiction there's a there's a moment you that feeling you get when you realize something when you you thought you knew something and now you understand it a different way well i'm sure there's bio, there's biological you can take it as biological you know but that's when you you get you you get closest to god you know you get closest mm-hmm. to the religious uh fervor mm, the promise the, the, of what, yeah, yeah that that there is there is more to life than this yeah. and do you feel like you need to know what that more is or just to be reminded that there is more and then that's actually enough yeah just understanding that there is more and that that we can't fall asleep and be comatose in in the world that we in the in the dimension that we are told mm-hmm. is the is the only valid one would it be easier just to take hallucinatory drugs I haven't tried these things, but I'm like, if I, it came back, I have, you know, I have tried, and there's nothing, there's nothing. It doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. You know, there's, there's Good nothing. It's you can, you can smoke pot, and it's, and or take LSD or any kind of drug, and it's not going to equal the force and the lasting, mm. the lasting impact of, of a discovery. When you're sober, you know, when you're extremely sober and you just know that there is a world out there that you are blocking yourself from right. living in. And perhaps pedest- like pedestrian life is not when you're most sober. It's moments of discovery when you're Absolutely. most sober. Yeah, I believe in total, total sobriety and, and crave it because then I, can, then I can see all the different layers of... Uh, mm reality that I'm neglecting to pay attention to and appreciate which is what we wouldn't have said maybe three years ago on a podcast you know so it's a it's this time off or time away from and just making yourself open and, and just shut shut up <laughs> right. You put out, shut up, until you're yeah. empty, and then you and then you, and then you shut up and let things <laughs> let things come in, make yourself available. Yeah. And over time, you understand that like you need actually both. You know? Yeah. Like it was a really it was a really productive time to like connect with people and talk, and then and then you just also realize you need this like kind of moment to breathe in and not constantly be putting out. You mm. know. Do you ever think about your legacy? Your co- so what I feel like we're so often dealing with is the, the battle between our cultural heritage and our current cultural identity, like where we came from and not what we are now expected to be. And then pushing against all of those things will just accidentally lead to whatever legacy. But do you have an idea about what you hope to has changed for you or for the world? Or? Or are you just like daily self-medicating through art practice? 
because I definitely this is why I got into dancing in the first place it's like there's a moment here where I can be with others without talking where there's a, a togetherness that is beyond I'm more concerned about other people's legacy mm. the legacy of the people that inspired me yeah. and noticing and knowing that most people don't even know them you know, for myself, I don't have such a high opinion of myself that I feel like I need to leave <laughs> my 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 smears smears behind. No, but you, know? you will regardless. You will leave some smears. I don't think so. I no? don't think so. No. I mean, we've we've made some films that people can watch after we are gone, and they can go through our basement three bags of you know dirty dirty, co- dirty costumes. I'm impressed. It's only three bags, actually. Well, yeah. well, there's some other bags that are in Austria that we don't have access to. <laughs> okay. And that we don't need any. Don't they can just it. burn them if they yeah. want to. But, you know, you, you <clears throat> like we said in the beginning, your, your ambition shifts. Your ambition shifts from, from trying to leave something behind to actually focusing on the present and focusing mm-hmm. on, on, on the process that's going on right now. And whether what you're producing has lasting value or it's or even if it's good, it's yeah. it stops to matter. And I know it you know maybe sounds selfish to look for pleasure in the work, but if you work with uh, other people and then you put the work in front of other people, then you're kind of Extending that that pleasure into a into a larger world, and 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 it's you know at least that's what I tell myself that it's not that it's not that selfish then, you know. But but the the beginning impulse has to be it has to please yeah. me, yeah. you know, but ultimately. And, and I think I realized that when we when we were working with um, local people. Mm. Um, some people who had never like performed before and then we were we were staging all of these things on location and then um filming them and you know i thought at the end of that that what i would have is like a thing finally you know like as a as a performing artist you never have a thing that you (laughs) that you can look at Mm -hmm. that's that's the thing that you made but I started to realize as we worked on these that like the, we actually have two things. So we have the the movie that is the result, but then the bigger and more important one is actually the connections that we that we have with the people that we worked with, and the connections that they have with each other, and the memory that we have of working together on, on some on some level. So again, it goes back to to some sort of pleasure is what you. You know, if there is a big smear, <laughs> the biggest smear of all that you leave is actually the the memory of 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 working. Mm. And then there's a memory that people have of whatever whatever you performed. But yeah, the memory, and, and the the working together is a funny thing. I, I'm back in Australia in a week and there's a project I'm finally going to premiere after five years called The Blokes Project. And myself and another guy just apprenticed ourselves to these old blokes around the north of Australia for days at a time because we couldn't sit them down over a coffee and ask them questions. You just have to work alongside them. Uh And then things will come out. And it's like 
actually the work that you remember doing together that forms the, the connection um, that became the research process that we had to rely on. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, we didn't have to represent them because our bodies felt so shit from a day doing what they do every yeah. day <laughs> that that's where the choreography came from. Yeah, I I don't think I'm putting it like as nice as Eloquent as deeply as, as I would like to put it, <laughs> but it is definitely I realized something important about that I hadn't realized before about the experience of making the, the yeah. thing that was. Do you have like what what is unanswered for you still? Like what is still unresolved for you that you're going to have to keep making stuff to deal with and think through and life <laughs> it's what we do yeah it's our sushi you know <laughs> <laughs> so even if there's no progress to be made the the continuation of doing it yeah my goal right now my life. only goal right now is longevity in the work mm-hmm so that I can continue to work and derive satisfaction from the work and for as long as possible because it feels good mm. it's a, it's a good it's a great life that I have been working on mm. for 44 years and I don't want to get burnt out so I have to eliminate all the you know we've quit several times how did that go well, we always came back, so... Yeah. <laughs> but do you, like, after the third time quitting, do you know, like, okay, this is temporary now? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Did you know the first time when you quit that no. it was temporary? Okay. No. So there's a familiarity with self and with limits. And yeah. I think it's, and it's not that necessarily that you're quitting the thing, it's like you're, you're quitting whatever ambition built up mm. through making the thing, you know, wanting to make it better or... Yeah, I don't know. I still, I feel like now at this point in my life, I feel like what it is is just quitting the ambition. Yeah. And yeah if you have to switch to, to a different medium to do that, like that's what you do. Yeah. Because that's what that's what really kills the. That's what kills the any joy and meaning that you could possibly have in the, the thing that you do is just like somehow you, you want something that you you can't ever possibly control. You know, which is how that work is perceived and seen and um, yeah. apprised mm-hmm. in the world at large. If you really want it to be a provocation, if you really want it to, you know, push, then you can't. You can't want like you can't want praise and accolades for it, or you can't. Yeah, right. so. And when you're young, especially by people who don't know you and who haven't gone through once. the process, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just want to work with friends and people who love me and have my back and mm. and and work for a long time with them and do you go through this process that i go through where, where you like fall in love with your team and you fall in love with the project and yeah of course that's that's inevitable you know we're probably the most the least professional people <laughs> that are out there we, we always we always fall in love with those people and they're always they always become our family it's not it's not a. It's and not a. Like, it's not a small thing for us, you know. It's not like. 
cool, this is a project, you know. It's not a it's not a project, it's a it's a it's a life, it's an experience that is all consuming and has lasting consequences. And if that and if that family falls, falls apart, then it needs to fall apart, and then a new family needs to needs to form. And sometimes you make mistakes, and you 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 fall in love with people that don't love you back. But that's that's what happens in life. Mm-hmm. Or the hardest, you fall in love with people that you know, like they're they're there for a specific part of the journey, but then their their hopes and dreams and ambitions for their life are actually not the same as yours. Like they want to have kids, or. Mm-hmm. Um, you or know. they want accolades. They want the or they want accolades, <laughs> or they want like a more, like more often than not, like a, a more stable income or a more, of course, you know, totally stuff that they are totally right to want. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. I, it, like I think that there was a time in my life for sure when I definitely took that personally that somehow my dreams and theirs weren't weren't one and the same. Mm. There's uh, when you're talking about longevity. There's this. Uh, sentiment among my dad uh, trained as a mechanic in his teenage years and went on to run truck business so we grew up living in a shed that had all the mechanic equipment and there's this sentiment as you become an older man in that context where if you still have projects on the go then you can't die because you still got shit to do uh-huh. and that that's like a form of focusing on your longevity is not to like do yoga and eat healthy food it's to keep yourself useful to think like projects that are useless and so the t- that's what the term project had always meant for me rather than like uh, grant application performance deadline uh-huh. accolades it was like here's this thing that I need to do to service me and my ongoing sanity and to keep me alive and then it becomes a thing that defines you because you know that you can always find that person at that shed on this Sunday afternoon uh-huh. because that's it's like you can go and visit them in their their sacred space or something and when you talk about falling in love with the people that you're doing projects with that's what it sounds like to me as you're saying it can't be a commission or a contract actually it's like a an adventure that lasts for a certain Yeah, we don't. Time. We never work with contracts. Yeah. Is that like not using contraception? Is that like, <laughs> like it, kind it of feels is. better, but it's also very dangerous? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but ultimately, just tell us it's just theater. Yeah, okay. Because ultimately, who is going to... I'm for sure not going to come after anybody. Mm. I'm not litigious. Mm-hmm. And so, any 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 contract broken with me would be meaningless because mm. I would just be super sad, mm. and that's as far as it would probably go. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't need to. I don't need you to sign a contract with me because yeah, the agreement is the contract. The agreement is the on the human level, and I you, you I have to trust you, and you have to trust me, and. We go together, and if that if that rela- if that personal relationship falls apart, that's that's what falls apart. It's it doesn't. Than a piece of paper it's, and, and it's not and it's not going to keep the relationship together if you have signed <laughs> signed a piece of paper. No. And so, I mean, there's always the hope that if you're forced to stay together, you'll you'll come back around. 
and you'll meet each other again, but I don't see it yeah, happening. That's not my life experience. But, you know, <laughs> no. you know, I've yeah, tried I to get my parents to divorce for 18 years, and you know, they stayed together till I was 18, and that was a big mistake. You know? Do you think that was... I Yeah. There's no point in staying in a situation that's not working. Except the pleasure of the pain of doing the work that moves you through, like this, this saying of if you're going through hell, keep going. If there is some kind of overlap of your, of your dreams, of, of your passions, yeah, then right. you, can, you have a reason to work things out. But if your dreams completely diverge, mm. then there is no point, just mm. out of inertia. You know? Inertia is pretty powerful, though. Is it possible that that's also what you've succumbed to with continuing to do the work? No, because every project we make is completely different. Okay. It's not like, oh, now we've got to do another one. No, we just, uh, you know, our next project is going to be on, on we just uh, learn how to ride motorcycles, and we got two motorcycles, and we're, you know, learning how to ride, and we ride around the city, and the ultimate goal is to ride across the country and maybe other other continents and cool Australia and that'll be, good for that. yeah, yeah. and so that's that's our project so it's not whatever comes out of that is whatever mm. comes out of that but that we usually know, try to find a way that we can make re- whatever yeah. we're it responds to a to a specific need it doesn't respond to a an inertia you know yeah that like oh now somebody else is asking us to do a project inside a black box Mm. does that need come to you fully formed I often feel like I'm doing something on the side accidentally that I would never have considered is valid for a project Um, but I'm obviously doing it because the world is asking me to do it and then it becomes a project but I wouldn't say that I immediately know what I need like do you go through a process to work out what is you just follow your passion blindly and with faith, you know. Yeah. Just uh, you get obsessed. Like we must learn how to ride motorcycles. Mm. Yeah, it's you sign up I for the class. You, sign, you know, four months ago, I would never, never. tell you that I'm going to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> it's it, it never came been my upon passion. Us like a, just a giant wave of like we. Just and you just have to be do. impulsive and go for it. And if it fizzles out, it fizzles out, and things have fizzled out. But that's where I sometimes think, like you know, okay, maybe we are different than than normal people because, like, I feel like a lot of people say, like, "Well, I'm, I want to do that someday," but mm. we're we're we just do it now. a little impulsive <laughs> in that regard, and then you know, yeah, and a little impractical too. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when we could get performance work made, and what we really wanted to do was work with video and. You know, nobody wanted to pay for that. It's, yeah. it's not. It's not always. But we did it anyway. We did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar situation last month where I was uh, between. I mean, when you're between projects, you're still working, but you actually and you have no economic value. Yeah. And so that really, like, people talk about losing your job being such a massive deal, but we lose our jobs like multiple times a Every year. Every month. Does sure. it get easier? Because I still have lulls, and I don't know if it's the endorphins as well, because I'm not being physical uh-huh. with dance, but when that drops off, it's like you really can feel very useless. Yeah, I feel useless every day. So. 
Well, in my, in my uselessness, I looked at my someday list and it was to see what it's like to fly a helicopter. Uh-huh. And I rang the place, which I have to sometimes, to get on the phone to somebody, I have to really get jazzed up if I haven't uh-huh. spoken to anybody that day. And I had a couple of cups of tea and like listen to some loud hip hop. And I was all right, I'm ready to make this phone call. <laughs> and then the guy's like, if you can be here in 45 minutes, we'll go for a flying a helicopter. And so I jumped in the car and I like, went through some not quite green lights anymore and made it and then flew and then yeah life changed and I was like shit now my whole focus is how can I afford yeah the totally. training of flying a helicopter which but you can always find a way to do it you know yeah whether it's apprentice or you clean the rotors or whatever <laughs> I don't know what you know you there's always a way there's some like leveling out that goes against flies in the face of social norm of impulse and but that's just, that's also with like theatrical training no? theater training dance training it's like what is the impulse which one should you listen to let them all be valid and equal and i wonder if our future selves sometimes pay the price for that or if our future selves would pay the price for not following it you pay price for not following it yeah because soon you will learn that you're 80 years old <laughs> And you got a pension, but you don't—you don't have much of a. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies super fast. Yeah. Time yeah. flies super fast. But, yeah. That's. In a way, that's that's kind of what pushed that whole motorcycle thing forward mm. even more sharply this year. Is you know like, uh, we lost our cat. I lost my mother. You know, and you just realize like. You know, dude. I maybe I just have like tw- you know twenty years left or less. You know what? What is what is, you know, what's important or what haven't I done that I really wanted to do because there's no guarantees and and so I, it's it's like maybe a cliche, but it's it's driven home to you I think at certain moments in your life that um, if you don't follow these impulses through, mm. you know, you have regrets or whatever. And are these impulses often to do with? training or learning for sure yeah I mean it's expanding yeah it's expanding your skills or expanding who you who you think you are and the definition it's really it's really finding and when we're put up really up against like who we are and who we're not it's it for Mm. me is usually something to do with fear Mm. Um, I like I like that I'm a little bit afraid of riding that motorcycle (laughs) and and it's it it's also true of like sometimes we'll choose a form a, a form or a kind of work that we don't you know when we started doing video i i had no idea how to edit it you know the camera we were working with we didn't know how to use you know mm. so it's it's a little bit about working without a net or um, acquiring the skills as you go like that keeps it really sharp and you know entertaining or you know, in some level yeah this society doesn't um, seem to financially uh, support continually being a novice. They really support the expert, but the expert is someone who's just stayed still. And so it's like, but somehow, uh, well, isn't that the whole, like the whole pushback against capitalism is that, not the whole, one of, (laughs) is it like a well-rounded person psychologically has a bunch of different interests that they're following but that's actually terrible for 
scalability of production and that for living standards to be as high as they are for a lot of people, you just need to stand at that assembly line and do that one thing so that you get really quick at it. Mm -hmm. And then everyone can have what they want, but no one can have hobbies <laughs> or no one can have like half jobs. I, I still like, think that the Sydney Dance Company would probably work better if their dancers worked half days and then they had another company that worked the rest of the half of the day because there would still be passion and desire and yearning to dance rather than being exhausted. Yeah. Have you, is that when you quit, when you exhaust your passion? Or I think when the relationships burn down. Mm. When you lose faith in that this is doing any good to anybody involved in it, and then you just move on to something else. And what do you do? Just lock the cathedral door? You don't Burn it down. <laughs> fire everybody, fire yourself. Yeah. No, you just... Uh, you follow, you know, generally something else comes up that you really passionately want to do. And can you just wait for that or do you have to seek it? You just... Pay attention to yourself and, and... Yeah, it's usually like really one one thing closes up for you and then you 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 see what other things it opens up. Yeah, you free float in the uselessness and depression. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a little light somewhere and because you are uh, in somewhere that's desolate or lacking, because you have space, you can hear that very tiny impulse. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you don't check your phone every two minutes and, <laughs> yeah. and get on the Facebook to distract yourself, yeah. and, but actually give yourself time to be bored, then yeah, you'll hear the voice. Mm. What um, but does that ever like does that always come from this really positive like you're fired up, excited about something, or does it come from like complete, uh, like just being enraged about something and needing to react to it? Like, do you ever get really fired up about, angry about something, and then have to take action on it? Yeah, of course, but not 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 really relative to the work. Right. What? Do you, so what? What do you get fired up about? Well, Trump and <laughs> and, uh, and and what's going on in the, in the world and the world in general and terrorism and and the treatment of refugees and, yeah. and other human beings all over the world and and just uh, how we're de devaluing ourselves and just becoming meat mm. uh, to be moved around and trucked around and mistreated, you know, so there's, and the stupidity and the, the anti- Intellectualism or anti-thought and anti-anti-nuance, anti-ambiguity—you know—all of that conservatism, whether it's in sexuality or or thought or you know, mm. just uh, absolutism. Yeah, absolutism. You know, so that that just uh, fires me up. Like nothing, like like nothing, you know. But I don't think it's ever been like, oh, that fires me up. I'm gonna make a piece about that. No, or like no. it's, it's it's really like. Yeah, it's that's just, not where the word comes from. in the yeah. background, and then it's, it's. It makes its way into the work, but it's not. That's not the place for it. 
this, yeah. You know, it makes its way into the nightmares mm. somehow in a transformed fashion mm. through a filter. But that's. But I'm, not, I'm not going to write a. You know, have you ever worked out where the place is for it, or is is it just something to sit in? Is it just a a, a side effect of being self-reflective that you notice these things and you notice yourself going through this? You actually have to stop being self-reflective. You have to actually stop thinking and blank out, and know that, and and just start working whether it's making a dance and you know that you, I just have to make a first step True. and then you make that step yeah. it could be wrong but you just have to make it you know you have to act before you know what to do you have to you know say speak before you know what to say mm. and then something comes out from from a different part of you than discursive brain and uh, then you then you can edit it later but really it, it just you just have to get it out if you just have to do stuff, you know, you have to do stuff and then use your judgment later mm. to make it better. Yeah. Make a new draft, you know, it's just multiple drafts. It's it's process of rewriting. You know, it's like, I feel like that's a, that's a metaphor for, for life and what's lacking, mm-hmm. you know, when, uh, People used type used to use typewriters, which I have a collection of. Or, or people used people How used. Many does he have? He has I have five. Okay. <laughs> or he people, used to have seven. <laughs> yeah, or people used to write by hand, and then there was the process of having to recopy it and having to rewrite it. Yes. And now with computers, you don't rewrite. You know, with a phone, you you write your stupid tweet and you send it. There's no revision process. Mm. You know, whereas. All our work is revised and revised and revised over and over again on you know forty fifty drafts yeah. but that's not that's not how life it's not the way that's the not world. the way the world is 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 moving these days so it's not uh, everything is just your first thought is your best thought which which I believe is not is no, not true you'd hope not because no? then what do you do after that yeah you're done yeah so I believe in revision and not necess- not not in a way that you judge yourself as you as you do it, but it's a yeah. it's a gradual acquiring of complexity, gradual acquiring of you know you know when you write something stupid, you know sexual abuse is bad, right? Good, you know that's your first thought. Yeah, let's start from there. Okay. Can you can you expand on that? Yeah. Can you complexify it? Can, can you, you can you some you know, with yourself? Can yeah. You take the other side. Yeah, and just you know you have you have multiple multiple voices. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not all just one voice. You know, I'm just as a just as rabid a capitalist as I am a communist. <laughs> I, I stand for all of it. You know, I think everybody in the world would love to have a lot of money. I think we all would love to be rich. There's no, we, yeah, we all would love to be bourgeois. <laughs> I don't but know. We would like to like still hang out in non-bourgeois spaces. To, like, yeah, we'd, we'd still, we, but we would love. Yeah, we yeah. would love to be hipsters and and, yeah. and grow beards and and, <laughs> and pomade. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, but with really really expensive hair care products, you know. Yeah. So it's. 
I can stand behind all of it. Yeah. Which, when you, when you understand that about yourself, is a, a challenge to then become righteously reactive about anything or to take a stance in one spot. For sure. You know that For sure. Except that Trump, you, you can feel free. <laughs> I think there's no question that that guy's a total idiot. And somehow we've, you know, there's no redeeming quality about him. So I don't think there's any, you know, one doesn't need a, a book length analysis mm -hmm. of the man. Mm -hmm. I think but if you wrote like a tweet is enough, probably. Trump is an idiot, and then you're like, okay, how do I? Yeah, disagree but, with myself. Yeah, would but I wouldn't bother? even would. Would you bother doing that work, or do you feel like if you know? Not, 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 not right now. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's just too too soon. <laughs> too soon. Still, still getting over it. Yeah. But in the past, I mean, we we knew Trump twenty years ago. I mean, we were the only ones in in our community who watched passionately The Apprentice. Ah, so we knew him. Okay. We knew him, and and the people who voted for him would never even deign to watch such drivel. Uh -huh. But we loved it. <laughs> we loved Trump. The extravagant way. The extravagant, but we but we loved him as a clown. Yes. We loved him as an entertainer. Yes. As an oversized American. Yes. We loved him his bombastic. Yeah, as an expression of of the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And but never never would we consider him for a president. Yeah. And that's but then that comes back to the the thing where you're like, okay, this type of person should be in this position. And if we're talking about the artist being able to be like all the things, then we want our president to be one thing. Yeah, but he was vulgar, but but yet he was a New Yorker. I mean, he 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 had gay friends. He had, you know, he wasn't a racist at that point. You know, so it's like it almost feels whatever he's yeah. doing now is is a is putting up some kind of a front hmm. that somebody else is telling you. Like he was, you know, he was a an aggressive, vulgar capitalist. Capitalist, <laughs> not not aligned with religious right. You know, it was, there was there's nothing religious about him. And yeah. all of a sudden, he's now he's like quoting the Bible. Quoting the Bible, like, <laughs> like I, I doubt he's he doesn't even he even knows how to spell Bible. Yeah, you know? but maybe some people are just porous enough that yeah. whatever they are surrounded by, they yeah. become. Yeah. And maybe that's like... I think he wanted to be successful so much in this one particular area that he just did whatever yeah, right. whatever got him. Yeah, he just wanted to win, and he did. So he was rewarded. The yeah, country rewarded him for what... And he continues mm. to be rewarded for mm. all of mm. the... Which is why he continues to do what yeah. he does. Mm. And you continue to be rewarded because you have the, the freedom of mind to say that it's valid to go and let, ride motorcycles well we're rewarded because in a way we i um i feel outside of it yeah it's not it's a different sport it's not where i get my news in a way where do you get your news from the way i've always gotten my news from from, from, <laughs> no, from i get my news from from literature and from art from yeah that that is the world that yeah from like dead writers and from children and from yeah from 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 cats. The, the world I interact with yeah mm. cats for sure mm. 
Cats know what's up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but what are you most excited about? <laughs> like that's what's. I'm excited about, about the snow stopping, the <laughs> snow melting, the roads drying, and getting on my hog and riding like the wind. That's what I'm most excited right now. Do you know what kind of bikes you're gonna get? Well, we we already have them. Yeah. Oh, they're downstairs. <laughs> With the costumes. No, we oh, don't a have a spot. place to park them. We park oh, them okay. on the street. Oh. Okay, but you've already been cruising around New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. We rode so much. I had a long ride yesterday. I got frostbite <laughs> Do you feel like um, you understand now those people? So my, my younger brother has this massive ute, which you would call a truck here, mm-hmm. um, with like massive subwoofers, and it feels <laughs> awesome. And you look at those people when you're not those people, uh-huh. and you're like, what a douche. And then when you're in there and the beats behind Beyonce are kicking like behind your seat, like this, I feel, I know, I understand now. Uh-huh. And I'm ha- like, I will, I will, I will own being a douche because it feels so good. Absolutely. No, but I've always been a douche. <laughs> I've always loved loud music, always loved uh, pumping beats, you know, I've never had a, you know, I, I... Yeah, but I think you would have never, like, you're enough of a good neighbor to, like, the the, the bike he got, because oh, yeah. we went with, like, super used bikes, so okay. this is an old bike, and somebody had modified it to make as much noise as possible. A loud pipes save lives. Yeah. That's the stickers so, I've seen. My bike sets off every car. <laughs> And, you and know, that's exciting, isn't he it? feels it's a awesome. bad about it. Like, I like feel bad about it only downstairs yeah. when, when now we are pariahs in the building uh-huh. because I have to warm up my bike and it's just like a construction site. I erect a construction site the moment I, the moment I turn it on. But so it's I, so cool when you're riding like those car alarms are going off and it's like I can't even hear my bike under his bike. Yeah. Um, and it's the I, loudest thing ever. I love that the cars look at you. There's still guys that will, like, give you the thumbs up, yeah. you know? And it's it's visceral in a... Super visceral. Yeah. But it's funny because it's, like, not not who I would... It's like what you said. Not, not you, but me, yes. Because I'm, I'm all, I've always been a... I'm a loud guy. I get in yeah. trouble. I, that's what, you know, that's what I was saying. It's like it's somehow... It's, it's part of my mm-hmm. DNA to... Since I was a little kid, you know, I was always in trouble in school. Yeah. Everybody always tried to shut me up. I had an aversion to these sort of people. I know, because, I understand it. Because I grew up like in this small, small enough town and I, and I thought that activity went along with the attitude. Uh-huh. And, and it was only like, the only way my dad and I can spend time together is if we're working on something. So we got an old Mustang, like 67. And we rebuilt it together because I didn't know. I went away to dance school and yeah. didn't learn. <laughs> and so then there's like this project that we now, father-son project, so that we have something to talk about. And now I'm driving it around and like I'm dropping someone off at the airport and old people come up to me and tell me about their memories in it. Uh-huh. Or like I'm waiting at the lights and people want to have real discussion. And they know more about the car than I do. Huh. But it's like this realization that you can enjoy the activity without being... With, without succumbing to um, any of the attitudes that seem to go with the community of people that represent that activity? For sure. I mean, the, a neighbor complained about my bike 
and I felt terrible for disturbing, and I, we wrote her a long letter mm-hmm. apologizing and, and explaining, explaining that, yes. you know, when it's cold, I, I would, there's nothing more than I would, more I'd like to do than ride away. Yes, instead of, of revving it in front of the building, it's not, I'm not doing it to disturb anybody. I'm very self-conscious about it, but the bike needs to warm up. It's not going to run because mm. it's not uh, fuel okay. injected. It's carbureted, and so it has to. It needs at least five minutes to sit there and and use the choke where it gives me more yeah, more more fuel. more fuel. So it's even louder. But you, know? you said like you know if there's a, d- a time of day that I should avoid doing this, like please let, let me, me know. know. Yeah. yeah. You know. And in, in a way, that's doing the same thing that, that making art or having discussions does, which is being like putting yourself somewhere where you are not yet valid and then growing into that space but bringing all of the consideration that you've learned from all these other spaces. And then you're changing that thing. In a sense, you're also gentrifying that thing. And so I, I sometimes worry about this, uh, that... Um, I'm gentrifying my father's truck yard, for example. When I like look, but what are you going to do? Exactly. I can't, what can I do? You don't have a right to that. It's like the conversation we had about it. You know, what material are you allowed to use? Like so, so tr- trucks and motorcycles are forever out of our reach because somehow we are. I hope not. Yeah. yeah, and it's great because in a way, like I, I feel like there there are now certain people that I know I would run into because. I'm an artist, and I'm in this this world, right. and therefore we we all are we all kind of in the same universe. But the you know riding this, these bikes around, yeah. I've an met people to new people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I, I feel like that that's good because the the universe tends to close down the longer that you live. You know, like you expert when yeah. you become an expert. Yeah. Did, when so when does this become an art project? Have you been through these cycles before where you've like started something as an, an impulse that's totally unrelated and you've grown into it and with it and understood it, it's changed your perspective, you've met new people and then you finally work out why it's an art project? Yeah, I mean, it will. Uh, we have a theatre project that we'll finish in September 2018 and after that this is the motorcycle project will take priority. So until then, we will become the expert writers. What? The motorcycle project? <laughs> yeah, motorcycle diaries. <laughs> but so when does it like? When is it? When does it stop being like an, an impulse for your own? Never. Interest and enjoyment. Never, because you always work out of absolute necessity. True. So it doesn't become. There's no separation, really. Yes. You go like, oh, I need to go there. Yes. We've Just, always had a bad bad um, time dividing art and life. <laughs> you maybe, know? Yeah. It's just, there's no... There's no need to, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I guess uh, at some point, like, you may need resources, and then you have to validate yourself that you're while well, you're asking for resources on this thing that could be like a, a life hobby, but it's an art project. And I just wonder if you've gone on this circle before. Like, I have no idea why learning to fly a helicopter is going to be anything but just like a childish awesomeness uh-huh. of like roller coaster proportions, but the <laughs> challenge of learning and being able to do something you couldn't do before. And I have no need for it to be subsumed by actually my art practice. 
Yeah, maybe we don't either. Maybe yeah. it'll, maybe it'll turn into nothing except I happiness. Which is great, you know. Yeah. Have you taken your cat on it yet? No, he's no. too old and no. sick. Yeah, in a way we bought the bikes because we thought we were going to lose him. <laughs> no, because like when his brother died, um, then he ended up in the hospital. And I think oh, I said to Pavel, like, you know, I just, if this all, if we lose this many people in one, yeah. I, I'm not going to be able to go back home again. I just yeah. will need to go away for a while. And we started talking about just getting motorcycles and, you know, just riding off into the sunset. That's awesome. And then the motorcycle stuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there something like that, like on your someday? Do you have other things on your someday list? I think we're good about. Okay. I mean, House in the country, lots of animals. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we have kind of flirted with like living in a more, yeah, rural setting. Mm. Would you have to start up um, podcasting again to stay sane so you keep having the conversations that you need to have? Who knows? You might be done with it. Yeah. You might be ready for conversations about motorbikes and animals, and you don't need conversations about cultural movements and rebellion. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've always. I think this is the. Like I said earlier, you know, I'm interested in longevity, so I'm not. I don't have fantasies that are finally. I'll stop wanting to write or mm. make work. You know, I don't want to stop. So I know that whatever whatever it would be would ultimately be in the service of that work. Yeah. We would, for me, I would move to the country if it's better for my work. Yeah. You know, right now we perform in New York every five or six years. There's there is no real necessity for us to be in New York. Mm. So. You know, so that and that will probably become even more. You know, I don't, I don't see us. I don't, I don't see the situation changing here, so that we get more work here. So, whether you fly to Europe from Dallas or New York is really the same thing. So, yeah, it's true. It used to be everybody we worked with was here, but that's not necessarily the case anymore. And it's actually harder for for people to stay in New York. Mm -hmm. I know more people who've left than have been able to stay, so. Mm -hmm. But there's still something about the history of art here that has been a part of my... Yeah, I wonder yeah. about that, about the compression that causes art to happen. I think when I've been in places that are beautiful where all of my other needs are met, mm -hmm. I don't... You don't need, need it. <laughs> as much, actually. It's like a coping mechanism of. Yeah, but maybe if you're writing, if you're writing about New York from Texas, yeah, <laughs> you, have a, you have a you have a different perspective on it that that makes it richer. Like yeah. I, I'm not able to really deal with New York 
also, in the work while while living here. You know, honestly, like, too, it used to be like that. There were certain things that were just here, like electric arts intermix or whatever. You, you could yeah. go see experimental movies at only one place, and now mm. with more and more of the stuff being on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's as true as it was anymore. Yeah, bookstores don't exist. Yeah. yeah. The cool yeah. bookstores that we moved here for don't, they're not, they're not yeah, in existence. Right. Where there's actually just some old person that like has read every book in the shop and you tell them what you're yeah. looking for and they give yeah. you the book. Yeah. And they're a gateway to that. Yeah. But you feel like an old fart when you like talk about like, you know, that <laughs> crazy guy that used to, <laughs> yeah. But I miss the crazy guy that used to sell his own like hand dried tobacco and you know wow. Norwegian licorice in the basement. Wow. Some, yeah, I mean like all of those kind of like random encounters that yeah. could enrich your, you know. Is this what you're talking about at the start, Pavel? About like the narrowing down of normality? Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all becoming generic. Yeah. And. Equalizing, yeah, which, which maybe. I mean, if you go on the subway, you just see everybody. You know, I just noticed everybody has the, the, gray <laughs> goose, the Canada, Canada goose. goose, Canada goose, jackets, <laughs> or that Norwegian little fox backpacks. True, and it's like all the same. I'm told you have to scuff them up for them to look cool. They yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was told. But it's like it's like the the yeah the and Canada, everybody's Canada has like sponsoring a, yeah. New York winters now yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the team yeah which is great for Canada Goose I'm yeah. sure but probably seventy percent of pop, New York population has Canada Goose wow. jacket right. <laughs> it is weird I was in a music store last week that sold like really high-end gear and there was a particular song I wanted to listen to and I couldn't remember what it's called and I called, I got on the phone to a record store I'd only ever been in once in the middle of the year, last year, and spoke to the guy who served me and he remembered the record that he sold me. Wow. And then I could request it and because he was that person who, this is his passion and his, his payoff is to induct other people to that and I feel like that's what you're talking about when you're yeah. saying let's have all let's have all of the ideas let's be all of the people that I can be yeah. and let's shed and spread that out yeah and there's a fitness that is required there's a training that is required to think that broadly but then also be able to land back as a sane person yeah you've got to be operate. vigilant yeah and there's somehow like a professional responsibility of curiosity that also comes with the cost of uh, not being taken seriously because why would you still be curious and enthusiastic at such an age? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked that you want to talk about? I think we cover it. <laughs> I think we <laughs> pretty much covered it all. Like if this was an OK Radio podcast, would it have? Would you feel like okay, maybe we got some good things there? Maybe we had some good chats. Yeah, I think ultimately, 
the best podcasts we had were when by the end you forgot where you started in the beginning. Yeah, and you get a bit exhausted. Yeah, because because then you've you know that you've covered more than you were planning to, and that that things didn't go according to plan. Yeah, and more than you can hold in your head. At and more than you, more than you can hold in your head, and that somehow there's you know, complexity. But yeah, if if we we'd love to come to Australia and ride our bikes across. That would be so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've done some drives yeah. in um but a lot of the places a four wheel drive is really necessary, you know, off road vehicle. Oh yeah. We're like cruisers, so Oh yeah. Like, it would probably have to be Yeah, I don't roads. think we're dirt bike people. We're not yeah. dirt bike people, no. so Okay, well, there's no road through the center from east to west at the moment. Oh, wow. You have to stick to the coastline. To That's fine. We'll just go around. Yeah. That'll take a couple of months and it'll be real pretty. Yeah. Especially when you're away from people. Yeah. I just had a flashback to something I think you said, Pavel, in one of the episodes about how it's really hard to enrage an audience or provoke an audience unless you've spent a lot of taxpayers' money on the show that you're presenting to them. <laughs> People actually will let you waste your own life, but as soon as you're wasting their money, they get really uptight about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminded me of this cryptocurrency launch I saw a couple of weeks ago where a guy said, this space is so crazy, I'm going to launch a token, and it's so that I can buy flat-screen TVs, and there's no value, and don't buy my token. And three hundred eighty thousand dollars went to him. Really? Yeah. Where people just bought these tokens that he explicitly said, like, this is the least scammy token out there because I'm being upfront with you about how, how it has no value. And it's it's like people get really enraged when they feel that you've taken something from them, whether it be time or resources or finance, or if you're on the stage that they think they should be on, or yeah. Yeah. If you trick them. Yeah, this is the thing, like how to seduce without trickery. How to say, come with me on this journey beyond where you currently are, or where I would expect you to go by yourself. Well, sometimes trickery and con is fine. It's a craft. It's a technique. There's a well. There's a little bit of that yes. at the base of every like. At the art of show, oh, it's always yeah. a little bit like how do you get them in the door, and then how do you keep them? True. You know, we're all a little bit hucksters, but you can be a. Again, we're not good people, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> but you're working for good. You're using your evil for good. Your evil powers. But we're a little dirty and contaminated oh. as well. But that's what happens from wrestling in the mud, right? For sure. That's the experience that's required to get the skills. Yeah, I wonder about how I can do just enough that the audience is um, brought into this other world with me, but only just enough so that they have to do some of it as well, so they get buy-in. One of my favourite parts of the performance I came to the other day of Seed Happiness was that as one of the female actors was talking about how useless she is and how the world doesn't care about her. Two people got up and left, uh -huh. and she addressed it to them. Yeah. And I thought that, that that was a highlight of that entire evening for me yeah. because it felt like 
it reminded me that we were all there, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that moment. Oh, you, yeah, you couldn't have scripted it better. <laughs> and those people helped the show. It's like this dude that last week made a, an edit of the latest Star Wars movie but with almost all the female characters cut out. Oh, really? So that it still followed this, like male hero does a heroic act that saves everyone that leads to um, victory saga and like it was only a 45 minute cut in the end but his action towards that way has opened a conversation about how progressive the film is and the things that are tied up in that film that never would have been seen yeah. I, didn't, I didn't hear about that it's pretty amazing yeah. but just amazing that those people who were like probably quite respectfully done for the evening with the show assisted it yeah yeah it's always good for the people who are on stage to realize that the audience actually has a choice to make yeah every moment I think you just assume that they're just going to sit in their seats until it's over and like yeah. you know in some places maybe not in New York do you leave a lot of shows or you always I stay don't. for show? <laughs> I've never left this yeah oh really yeah because you have faith that... Because you have faith? No. Have faith thing? No, because I know how it feels when people leave my show, so I don't... Yeah. You don't want to... I always assume, like, people... No, I don't want to hurt other people, you know. of work into this, like, sure. I'm being asked for, you know, usually a couple of hours. Mm. Yeah, what am I... Yeah. You know, what am I... What am I going to do... Yeah. I'm just gonna go home and watch TV or something. Yeah. So sometimes you know that it's a bad night. I'm gonna go yeah. watch. You know, I'm gonna go watch TV and hurt ten people on stage. Yeah. It's not worth it to me. I'd rather suffer myself mm-hmm. and put up with the show. But not everybody has the same relationship that we have with. You know, it's like will you stiff a waiter or not? Too it depends a lot on. If yeah, you, if you work, you know, I, you I worked in, in, that the, in that situation, so I know that. Waiters are only making money on tips, so I'm, I, I over-tip. Yeah. Some people are like, yeah, I'm going to under-tip. Yeah, she didn't smile at me. Sometimes <laughs> like, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. there's like a whole um, emotional labor that is not being, that is hard to quanta, uh, not quant- quantify, and so if you've never had to deliver the emotional labor, you don't see it as labor but it's pretty yeah and if you if you've never made a show you have no idea you think somehow these people are just like improvising it out there <laughs> like they're just doing it right now and then <laughs> they haven't put two years of work into it even if it's horrible you know it's like you, you don't want to you just somehow or, or or if you're a critic you know mm. and you just decide you're gonna write something awful and you have no, you have never even made a show, I often and you don't, you don't, you don't know what goes into it. Because I don't, I don't think that dancers necessarily make good choreographers, but I know that they understand the dancing and yeah. the effort that has gone into the dancing. But I also know that the kind of training doesn't necessarily make them good critics, even though they f- understand physically and somatically. Then they won't understand contextually or culturally or across time. And so I wonder how a critic has any validity or legitimacy of understanding beyond contextualizing it within the written canon. They have none. 
which is why I don't get a lot out of football because I haven't, like, I don't have grown men running into me often enough. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like everyone should be required. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with an appreciation of, of painting. And then I worked as a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum, and I still I was staring at a Vermeer or Rembrandt and completely cold, not really uh, unable to appreciate it. You know, I could be intelligent all I want, but you, you have no connection, so I decided I'm going to copy these. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through every gesture that went into making this painting. In order, f- and then and then I started to appreciate it because I tried to make it horribly. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I won't, I didn't show anybody my copies, but at least I made that. I knew that there was a line here, and there was a line here, and there was a line here. I made all those lines that were, you know, on the on the painting, and learned to appreciate visual art. So I know that you don't have to. You know, a critic does not have to make a good show. They just need to know that a cho- choices are being made every single moment in rehearsal for a year, for two years. Mm-hmm. And that those choices are sometimes difficult or that they're meaningless. You know, it's like you go stand here or you go stand here. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. And, you might and you have to make that choice. Yeah. That performance. Yeah. Like and you, you make choices, but you have to make those choices. Yeah. You have to make those, those calls. Is that security guard thing kind of like the motorbike thing where... So I didn't know how a carburetor works and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But my appreciation for the intelligence that some people have in that field... Yeah. Absolutely. No. And also, you know, I played sports and I I played hockey on a pretty high level with with really, really talented players who could barely read. But their physical intelligence was amazing, and I and I even then I, I never would call them stupid. I would still call them geniuses because of what they could do without thinking about it. Just just the just the natural ability or and the and the, and the hard work that they put into honing their craft, you know. So it's definitely the appreciation and knowing that. There is so much out there that I do, that I'm unable to appreciate. Yeah. yeah, this building, buildings coming out. Like I'm not able. All I all I see is an eyesore. But to be able to appreciate that somebody had to actually design that, and they're building a you know 50 story building right in front of my yeah. house. Yeah, and that they can actually do it. Ready I mean, like who, Katrina as yeah, well. Yeah, like who can amazing. who can do that? I mean, it's <laughs> amazing. And that some parts of the world build their scaffolding around it with bamboo. And yeah. Just like, yeah. And it's and it holds. Well, like we we went up to the we took the company up to the top of the Empire State Building, you know, just because that's something that you do. And like, uh, there's a book there that was like about the building of it, and it was built mm. in 13 months. But like, it really like nobody, everybody was like, no, no, <laughs> like, you know, when you think of like what can be made and and just in that amount of time and with the with the tools that they had available yeah. back then. Yeah, there's a sense of um, deciding that what we know, maybe we could know better, or what we can do, maybe we can do better. I, 
this one thing I heard Elon Musk say is that like um, development doesn't happen accidentally. It's like uh -huh. a lot of really smart people working really hard for anything to shift forwards. And I think maybe we're in this period of consolidation. You're talking about like cultural consolidation, but even um, economic consolidation where we look for efficiency rather than efficacy. And it's just about like how few staff can you have so that you can make as much profit for your shareholders. But actually, innovation comes from fat and accident. Yeah. And like people being bored but having of, to be together. A lot of really smart people having dumb ideas before they have a genius <laughs> idea too. I mean, like people yeah. forget about that. Yeah. Or like a whole bunch of really stupid people for some reason having power to pull together some uh, really smart together. people. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they don't call themselves like geniuses. <laughs> yeah. But that's at the Apple store, right? That's where you go to find a genius. No, that's and where you go to the White House. <laughs> oh, really? He said he's like genius. And Kanye also. He's like really smart, he says. Yeah, like really smart. But isn't that's like a, a well-documented phenomenon that this, the less you know, the more you are convinced of your own intelligence. It's easier, I guess, just, <laughs> yeah. just to, yeah, have a feeling of infallibility. And that's hopefully what teenagehood delivers to you, is like these series of humiliations where you realize that that uh, growing knowledge of the world s still means that you don't know shit. And if you somehow get through teenagehood without those humiliations, <laughs> then you end up as these adults, these self-infallible. With some kind of humility, yeah. which is also a kind of intelligence. Yeah. But how do we encourage that kind of intelligence? Like, how do we give it validity again? I find even Just on keep the street, doing the best work you can. Okay. Yeah, but it must be a cultural thing. Like, if I ask on the street someone in Australia a direction and they don't know, they'll tell me they don't know. Uh -huh. But... I've like quite often had people give me wrong directions here because they don't want to tell me that they don't know. <laughs> and I wonder if that's just a... Or they want to be helpful more than they, <laughs> more yeah. than they can. Like, want to do all they can for you, but what they can do for you actually is to say that they can't help you. <laughs> they don't know, they don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's like well, maybe we've exhausted ourselves. Yeah, it's fun to be on the other side of it, though. <laughs> I, I hope so. I usually just have my own unanswered questions and so I push them on to other people who, are, who have more or less knowledge or experience or hopefully are alien to my own interests. And then you find, yeah. They're the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a sign-off? No. Or oh, like the music just kind of came up. Yeah. Yeah, we usually just put the music in underneath. That's it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have like? Did you ever try and finish with an epiphany, like a wrap-up or something? No. 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 Like that's the work for the listener to. Yeah. Yeah. Take what you can. Yeah. I think that's you know we just I'll say that's back. it. I mean, you probably know more, you've probably listened to it more recently than we have. <laughs> yeah, True. it's been a few years. So. There are some people I go back and listen to, particularly because 
you've challenged them with an inflammatory statement, probably. <laughs> then they've come, then they've agreed with you, and you've taken them on this big side journey where they're suddenly agreeing to overthrow governments. <laughs> and then you come back to something else. Awesome. All right, thanks. We're out. Thank you.